This week in KMA Land, Mayher scores smashing Page County Supervisors win. Tactical glitch hampers KMA Land primary results. Incumbents hold serve at other supervisors' races. Wood edges Dykstra for legislative seat. It's Axney versus Nunn for hotly contested congressional seat this fall. And primary night storms roar through KMA Land. I'm Mike Peterson. There is a Netflix TV show that describes Iowa primary night in KMA Land. Stranger Things. Yes, strong, severe storm cells coupled with issues regarding voting machines that may yet impact the results of certain races turned an already suspense-filled election night, pardon the expression, upside down. And even 11, Mike Will or Sheriff Hopper would find the evening challenging. Through it all, certain candidates emerged as victors, including Todd Maher. Unofficial results in the Page County Auditor's Office show Maher winning the Page County 2nd District Supervisor's Republican nomination over incumbent Alan Armstrong. Maher told KMA News Wednesday morning he couldn't be happier with the win. It really was a grassroots effort that the people of Page County that have supported me and have, they're wanting change, and I think definitely their voices have been heard tonight. And, you know, they have looked for somebody to, you know, hopefully uh, listen to some of the issues that have, that have been happening in the county. And I think, you know, this response, um, was just more than I could have ever hoped for. Proposed wind turbine projects were a big issue in the campaign. Mayher reiterated his support for change in the county's current wind turbine ordinance, including the existing setback regulations. We need to make sure that the property line would be the setback and not the foundation of somebody's house. And, you know, we need to make sure that we're putting every aspect of safety, giving those non-participating landowners a seat from the turbines, understanding, you know, the ALS system, trying to push for that. So I, I think, you know, there's a compromise there, and I know that the moratorium doesn't really impact, you know, the Shenandoah Hills project, but I think, you know, we need to go back and look at that as much as possible and see if we can right some wrongs there. With no Democratic nominee and assuming no write-in campaign is mounted for the November general election, Mayher will take his place in the board in early January. However, he hopes changes in the current wind energy ordinances happen before that. I would love to see the, the board uh, look at this election as the voice of the people and hopefully, you know, and do the right thing by the, by the citizens of the county and say, the people have spoken, and I think we need to go back and look at that and, you know, and not, not wait around and, and or push something through that maybe the people have decided, hey, we don't, we don't want this. The way, it is, the way it is written. Adding to Tuesday night's suspense was a glitch in voting machines impacting Page County and others. Meeting in special session Wednesday morning, the county's Board of Supervisors approved a letter acknowledging Page County Auditor Melissa Wellhausen's request to perform an administrative recount of ballots from Tuesday's primaries. Despite tests performed before Election Day, Wellhausen says the Iowa Secretary of State's office reported issues with the unison voting equipment, including multiple 
instances of paper jams when voters inserted ballots into the tabulator. She says this caused the number on the tabulator to increase. It led to the appearance that more ballots were cast than voters who signed a declaration of eligibility. However, Wellhausen says there appears to be seven precincts with just one extra ballot cast in Page County. This included Clorinda 1, Clorinda 2, Courthouse 1, Courthouse 2, Essex, Shenandoah 3, and Shenandoah Fire. And due to recount procedures, if we ever feel the machine malfunctions under that administrative recount, then it does state that in good faith as Commissioner of Elections, we should ask to recount all the ballots to ensure that every voter ballot has been counted properly. Wellhausen adds the county's equipment vendor, Adkins, advised that older motherboards in the equipment caused the problem. She says the overcount shouldn't impact races with a wide margin of victory, such as the second district county supervisor's race, in which Todd Mayer, according to unofficial results, won by over 700 votes against incumbent Alan Armstrong. For races that there was a significant margin, this, this really won't be an issue, but ten, potentially in any federal race or state race that, or local race where it's a close race, this could impact that. Wellhausen says the problem probably arose when a ballot was inserted too quickly for the machine to handle. Basically, um, what potentially transpired was if somebody took a ballot up to the machine, either got a little overexcited about putting it through, if the light wasn't green and then they tried to push it through, it considered it a GM ballot and then kicked it back. But when it did, it's not it potentially counted that ballot is going through. She says the individuals then likely reinserted the ballot leading to the overcount. Wellhausen hoped the recount would begin as soon as possible before the supervisors canvassed the election marking the results as official. Other area supervisors' races produced dramatic results. In Fremont County, challenger Clint Blackburn joined incumbent Dustin Sheldon on the Fremont County Supervisors' Republican ticket in November. Blackburn and Sheldon were the top two vote-getters for the GOP nomination. Two other challengers, Rodney Burge and former Supervisor Terry Graham, finished third and fourth, respectively. Blackburn told KMA News he was humbled by finishing first in the four-person GOP race. You know, I, I appreciate, thank you, though, for everybody that supported us here. And, uh, you know, it, from looking at things, it looks like it was a pretty tight race. So, it, uh, you know, it, it's good to see that, I think. It's, it, it shows that everybody turned out and kind of voiced their opinion. And we're, we're happy to say that we're, we're one of the top guys. KMA News asked Sheldon for his reaction to the results. Well, we're pretty pleased with the results that we got. And... and uh, we're just ready to keep moving forward with what we started four years ago and, and just keep building on what we've, we've started so far. Another familiar face survived a primary battle in Montgomery County as incumbent Mark Peterson secured the victory in the county's 4th District Supervisors race over challenger George Bruce. KMA News asked Peterson to give his reaction to the victory. Well, I was pleased with the results. It's, it's what I had hoped for and uh, appreciate the support from the voters in my district. And Peterson says his experience was likely the most significant factor in his victory. I'm in my eighth year as a supervisor, plus the years that I had attended several of the meetings prior to that. I've got a pretty long history of being around the Board of Supervisors, and I would believe that that experience 
had a lot to say. It was an eventful primary in Mills County as incumbent Richard Crouch narrowly defeated challenger Sandy Winton for the supervisor's Republican nomination. Crouch told KMA News his efforts over the past 20 years likely came through, including work done during recovery from a flood strike in the area in 2019. One that I really am proud of is our, our flood mitigation that we did with uh, getting the people bought out. We've done that in two years' time limit. Uh, a lot of people said you would be lucky if you're done in four. The state even commented on us getting that done and over with and the people moving on. So that's something I'm very proud of. It was a bit of an up-and-down night for Crouch as some of the earliest votes had the two candidates neck and neck. Start out not exactly winning the, the first absentee ballots and stuff in that area, and then you are behind by a few votes, and pretty soon it's a few more votes, and then you're, you're thinking, gee... This is not going well. And then another precinct comes in and either puts you back even or puts you ahead. And No, the up and down part was probably the worst of waiting for both of us, I'm sure. Barring any unforeseen circumstances, Crouch is expected to take his seat back on the Board of Supervisors in January with no Democrat challenge expected in the November elections. Another close race was for Iowa's 17th House District's Republican nomination. Unofficial results show Shenandoah High graduate Devin Wood edging former Ringgold County Supervisor Paul Dykstra by 90 votes. Currently a new market resident, Wood told KMA News she was honored by the victory. I'm just so I'm just so honored. Um, I'm I'm so honored by all the folks that you know I've I've known for such a long time and the new friends that I I met along the way that uh, that came out to show their support for me tonight. Wood attributes her win to toiling on the campaign trail. It comes down to you know the folks that you meet and the the connections that you're making and and he worked hard. He was out and about and so was I. You know knocking doors, meet and greet, phone calls, the work. You can't put one above the other when it comes. And, of course, the team of folks that, that you have behind you. And you can't be everywhere at once. And a lot of times uh, the folks that are supporting you in, in every different county are the ones helping you be, be everywhere at once. So um, I think that's a difference maker. With no Democratic nominee to face in the November general elections and with several months remaining before the new legislature convenes next January, Wood says she plans to continue meeting people in the new district. You can never talk to enough people in your district and um, because they are your boss and they they have uh, you know elected uh, elected me to go represent them and so um, I plan to do just that by by starting right down um, at the ground level and, and hearing what they uh, what their concerns and and their um, and their issues that are important to them are Tuesday's primary results also gave KMA land a preview of what could be the most watched congressional race in the United States. Unofficial results show State Senator Zach Nunn holding off Nicole Hasso and Gary Leffler for Iowa's 3rd Congressional District Republican nomination. With the victory, Nunn faces Democrat incumbent Cindy Axney in the November general elections. Nunn told KMA News his team feels confident they can bring progress from Iowa back into the federal government. Iowa has a lot of projects that work. Uh, We cut taxes. Washington, D.C. levies the greatest tax in American history. We have moved forward with projects that have been successful for Iowa farmers, Iowa families, uh, energy independence, whereas Washington, D.C. has moved in the complete opposite direction. Mandates on farms, burdens on families, and dependency on foreign oil. As gas prices continue to soar in the United States and around the world, Nunn says energy independence is at the top of his agenda. There's no way families, farmers, you know, truck drivers or small businesses are going to be able to survive with runaway energy prices. And you know what? Iowa's got a really good model. 
of doing what works, and all of the above solution, including ethanol, biodiesel, uh, wind, solar, but also smart fossil fuels that we can produce domestically here at home. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Thursday morning, Axne, a Democrat from West Des Moines, says she was prepared for whoever won the GOP nomination. I've been at this job for the last three years and have been running since five years ago, 2017. And I do this because I want to make sure Iowans are getting a fair shake and save money where we can, put it back in their pockets, have access to things like quality insurance and prescription drugs. So... I I feel really good about where I stand on all of these things. In his interview with KMA News Tuesday evening, Nunn, as you heard, indicated inflation and high gas prices would be big issues in his campaign. Axne says blaming President Biden for rising gas prices is a false narrative. What the president has done and what I have done is ensure that we lower that by making sure that E15 can be delivered year-round. He was with me in Menlo to make that announcement. So not only are we working to lower gas prices at the pump for all Americans who have access to this, but also put more money in the pockets of our farmers. So I'm ready for that attack. Well, we mentioned earlier that Tuesday night was a doubleheader for KMA land, and we're not talking about baseball and softball. While awaiting primary results, residents contended with a series of severe storms that went through a good portion of southwest Iowa, southeast Nebraska, and northwest Missouri. Perhaps the worst damage was in Union County, where high winds and perhaps one tornado hammered trees and structures in and around the Creston area. Union County Emergency Management Coordinator Joanne Duckworth tells KMA News her county was placed under a tornado warning at around 7.45 p.m. after a twister was spotted near Orient in Adair County. Then activity moved closer to Creston. About 8.10 or so p.m., we saw some activity up around Green Valley Lake. The campground had already been uh, evacuated, and those folks uh, were taken to safety. So... Um, that's really when it started in our county, was uh, just north and east of Green Valley Lake, and then it moved through our county. Duckworth says her phone was ringing off the hook Wednesday morning with calls regarding storm damage in rural parts of the county. Additionally, trees and structures suffered considerable damage along a northeast corridor of Crest. Well, we had a lot of tree damage, and, and a lot of those trees fell on homes. Uh, sheds uh, were, were damaged. Uh, some of them were completely destroyed. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just um, the kind of damage that you normally see with a storm that's got uh, high winds in it. Duckworth says both Creston and Union County crews were out in full force the following day in full cleanup mode. The city of Creston is out and the county secondary roads are all out trying to clear roads up and picking up uh, tree debris. Uh, the city of Creston has put out a notice on Facebook that I know they'll be cleaning up for another two, until at least until Friday. The street crews will be taking care of trees and if people get them out to the curb, they'll pick them up and uh, take them to the compost site. Duckworth says it's the worst damage in Creston since a tornado cut a swath of damage along Town Line Road in April 2012. Tuesday's Iowa primary was the swan song for Stephanie Burke as Montgomery County's auditor. As expected, the county's Board of Supervisors Wednesday morning accepted Burke's resignation effective June 30th. In reading her resignation letter, Burke announced that she's leaving county office to accept the school business official and board secretary's position with the Stanton School District. It's been an honor serving the constituents of Montgomery County as Montgomery County Commissioner of Election for 10 years. I will miss the incredible people I've had the pleasure working with, along with the 98 other county auditors in the state of Iowa. 
I'm delighted to have a career opportunity in the education field for an amazing school district. And I will take what I've learned in the 16 years working for the county. By unanimous vote, the supervisors approved a resolution stating the board's intent to appoint Burke's successor at its July 12th meeting. Residents interested in the position have until June 30th to submit letters of interest and resumes to county officials. Burke reviewed the process for filling her vacancy. The process to fill an auditor vacancy, uh, the board of supervisors responsibility they have 40 days to, to appoint an auditor, no, so that it is no later than August 9th. There cannot be a special election call because of the general election coming up. The position will be on the general election ballot to fill a vacancy. Berg says there's two ways candidates may place their names on the ballot for this fall's general election. For nonpartisan candidates file a nomination petition with at least 50 signatures from eligible electors in Montgomery County. August 8th is the first day to file nomination papers to the auditor and August 31st is the deadline. And whoever is elected in November 8th would serve as county auditor through the remainder of Burke's term, which ends in December 2024. County Treasurer Jackie Porter will assume the auditor's duties on an interim basis until an appointment is made. Board members are expected to interview applicants in closed session rather than conduct public forums, as with candidates seeking to fill a supervisor's vacancy two years ago. Iowa Western Community College's Council Bluffs campus faced a scary situation Monday morning. Iowa Western officials initiated security protocol after Council Bluffs police informed them of an approaching stolen vehicle attempting to elude authorities in a pursuit beginning on East Canesville Boulevard. Police say the stolen vehicle was abandoned near Iowa Western's Towers dorm. Following a search of the area, two suspects were spotted running through the campus grounds into the woods and creek bottom. Both were taken into custody after a foot pursuit. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Wednesday morning, Iowa Western President Dr. Daniel Kinney says amazing communications from authorities helped the school enact its lockdown protocol within seconds. We put in a, uh, a system a few years ago back here that allows us to literally hit one button. It sends out the alert. It locks our doors. It puts people into the mode. So we went directly into lockdown, not knowing the complete situation at that time, uh, prior to anybody hitting the, hitting the campus. Kinney's says the lockdown not only protected students and staff, but also helped police in preventing the suspects from entering campus facilities. He says procedures also protected visitors. Interesting is we had camps on campus yesterday. Uh, we had some youth soccer camps out on our soccer field. Our, our coaching staff out there that was working with those youth got the alert, ran them right to where they needed to go to get into a, a lockdown situation. So, you know, overall, it was the success of what we what we had, uh, of how it happened. Though Iowa Western conducts lockdown drills, Kenny says only a live situation like Tuesday's demonstrates the protocol's effectiveness. You know, the safety of my staff, my students, our community members on our campus is the number one priority to me as the college president and you know my administrative team does a heck of a job with that we run drills our security department so we continue to plan and think both suspects 32 year old jeremy joseph belt and 27 year old jamie d sutton of council bluffs face numerous charges including theft and eluding
Red Oak could soon have a new dedicated animal shelter back in the community. At its regular meeting Monday night, the Red Oak City Council heard a presentation from Tracy Hill with Animal Alliance Rescue, which is an animal shelter relocating from Mount Air to Red Oak. Hill says her shelter, which she runs with her mother, Dixie Strange, often works with animals running at large, those received through hospice and ownership releases. Uh, she, she says they like to get the community involved with the operation, including students from area school districts. We like to have them more involved. Where we came from it was 40 hours community service they had to do before they graduate. That could be in walking dogs on weekends, after school programs. We also work with the, uh, you may know, the Yellow Ribbon Program. Some of the dogs that aren't social dogs, they have to have a yellow ribbon that teaches the kids do not approach the dog. We've actually worked on service dog etiquette. Other offerings from the shelter include visiting area nursing homes, and Hill says they also welcome youth required to serve community service to assist with the animals. In assessing the stray animal population in Red Oak Hill, who has lived in the community for nearly six weeks, says she primarily has the same dogs running at large. She suggested having stricter enforcement of fees and fines for animals at large in the city's ordinances. I don't know if you guys can do more of an enforcing of your fees for running at large. I think that would kind of make people fix their fences or get a fence. Because where we came from, our first offense was $400. Because that was a big problem. But we didn't have, after the first six months, we really didn't have any problem with running at large. Additionally, Hill, who has served for 12 years as a vet tech, suggested reducing the required age for animals out in public to receive their rabies shot from six months to four months, which is the recommendation from state officials. Hill says she intends to work with a city nuisance officer and police chief to address any enforcement issues. Currently, Hill says two buildings have piqued her and her mother's interest for the new shelter. One in town needs a lot of work, but it has best in yard and most of the things that need to check state lists. The other one we really like is a little out of our price range. Um, we just was dealing with another bank today. So there's two we're looking at right now. Operating for the last eight years as a licensed 501c3 nonprofit, Hill says the shelter has been solely funded and self-sufficient through grants and donations, which she says likely won't be changing anytime soon. After nearly two decades, law enforcement and family members are still hoping for more information on the murder of a former Fremont County pastor and mental health care worker. On June 20, 2002, Kevin Morris was shot while fishing along the banks of the Missouri River in Fremont County. After authorities discovered Morris's body near a levee next to the river below the Nebraska City Bridge along Highway 2, a massive two-state search was launched to find the killer, including the Fremont and Oto County Sheriff's Office, Iowa and Nebraska State Patrols, the Nebraska City Police Department, and other agencies. However, neither of the potential suspects will be found. Fremont County Sheriff Kevin Astrope, who was a deputy at the time, told KMA News the first challenging task was locating Morse. Nobody was sure where where he was. They they thought he was um, by the river somewhere, but they didn't know for sure. So it took us a little bit to uh, figure figure out where he was. Had deputy head that way, and then I actually talked to the rest home because that's the one that called us and said said there'd uh, been a shooting. According to reports, Morris had called the director of nursing at the Country Acres Care Center, which he managed, and informed them he had been shot but couldn't identify his location before his phone went dead. Additionally, Astrop says they struggled with the case early due to very little information from witnesses, including some saying they had seen two individuals fleeing the scene of the shooting. 
but the sheriff's office is still actively pursuing the case. While a cold case is challenging to pick up, Astrup says he has placed Sergeant Andrew Wake on the case to serve as a fresh pair of eyes in the nearly 20-year-old documents. The deputy that I gave it to was not on the force at that time, so he's fresh eyes looking at it. I know he has all the case files for DCI. He's uh, talked to DCI and that, so I I know they're getting ready to conduct more interviews on it. Well, at the time of his murder, Morris was managing the Country Acres Care Center. He had also served as a minister for several decades. Daniel Morse, Kevin Morse's son, says he and his mother arrived at the scene shortly after one of the first county deputies. Morse says he knew the potential spot after spending several fishing tips with his father, who he says was an avid fisherman. He loved to fish, and he liked to fish the places that most people wouldn't go, little creeks and streams out of the middle of nowhere. He liked catching fish that most people wouldn't even like to eat. He loved fishing for carp, which for a lot of people, they wouldn't even think twice about going fishing for carp around here. But he enjoyed going out and being outside, you know, being in nature. Anyone with information on the case is encouraged to contact the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. That wraps up this week in KMLA. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com where you could hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This has been a presentation of KMA News.